says, why? Maybe desire your law and take joy in, in your word. Show us our hidden faults and prepare us to walk in your ways. May the word of your mouth and the thoughts of your heart be pleasing to you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 19, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. God. Now please find Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 122 on page 9. I will read the question and we will all answer. What does the first petition of the Lord's Prayer mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will be, be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we continue the series on praying the Psalms. 
we are praying the words. And I have organized my message this morning into three sections. Praying creation, praying the commandments, and praying Christ. Now, after I came up with that outline, I was pretty impressed with myself. <laughs> I mean, three points, and they all start with C. I mean, I'm kind of on a roll here, you know. And then I thought, you know, and, and maybe I could add a fourth one, catechism, you know, because we read from the catechism. But then I had second thoughts. I mean, maybe on the one hand I'd get extra credit for that, but maybe I'd get in trouble because I'm no longer Trinitarian with four points. <laughs> so I'm in a conundrum and I'm going to leave it at that. More seriously, what might it mean, first of all, to pray the creation? A good starting point is to think of prayer as, first of all, a conversation. Oh, another C. Conversation. And conversation is not only talking, but also listening. You know, the description of a bad conversationalist is talking and waiting to talk. <laughs> a good conversationalist is also listening. And we want to be listening and reflecting on the Word of God as we're doing now, in a sense. Think of, of even as we meditate on the Word, it's a kind of prayer. Because God is speaking to us through His Word. Strikingly, the Lord's Prayer, as the Catechism introduces it, calls us to quiet and to pay attention. Hallowed be your name means help us to know you. And I want to pause there a moment. Help us to know you. And then it goes on to say to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works and all that shines forth from them. Again, the works of God, the creation. Your almighty power, wisdom, and kindness, mercy, and truth. And now the points of the message, there are three of them. Creation, commandments, and Christ are all a way to know God. But I want to begin with the creation. The creation. We want to pay attention to God, the creator, first of all. And that is where Psalm 19 also begins. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. But notice something. The psalmist begins by drawing our attention to God Nonverbally, his nonverbal communication. There is no speech. There are no words. And yet, their voice goes out through all the ends of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The psalmist invites us to pay attention to the nonverbal cues and clues 
of God's glorious presence. Reminds me of a speaker once who began his presentation like this. And he says, do you know what I'm drawing? Well, of course not. He says, I'm drawing your attention. <laughs> we are encouraged to pay close attention to the message that begins in Genesis, where God calls into being light and darkness, sun, moon, and stars, the earth itself, plants and animals, and the human race. This is why in our Reformed tradition, we emphasize that we honor God not only through the study of the Bible, but through all reverent inquiry into all fields of knowledge. The whole catalog of a school of a university, the whole catalog of any curriculum, really, sciences, arts, you name it, have the potential of revealing something to us of God. As the Dutch theologian and statesman Abraham Kuyper put it, there is no square inch of the universe of which God does not say, this is mine. All creatures of our God and King belong to him. All creation has his fingerprints all over it. And prayer begins by listening, paying attention. And it is worth noting that our prayer language, too, also includes nonverbal communication. We also pray without words. That was brought out earlier, wasn't it? It is said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. We reflect God's own image back to him by our creativity. And that includes, of course, the nonverbal. I have a soft spot, indeed, for art, and photography, dance, music, and so forth, which communicates without words, and yet it speaks to us. But did you notice a little caveat that all fields are open to reverent inquiry. I'm, I slipped that word in there early, reverent inquiry. Let me put it this way. We are called to be cultivated individuals. Cultivated like a gardener or a farmer. It's the gardening season and we got stuff growing in the gardens, at least we do. How many of you got gardens? Flowers, vegetables, uh-huh, uh, yeah. And, and what else is growing in there besides the stuff you planted? Weeds. I spent hours yesterday weeding. 
You'd be surprised how persistent those things are. You don't just put the seed in the ground and walk away from it. Oh, if only. This is after the fall, you know. (laughs) I don't think Adam and Eve had to work quite as hard at it as we did. But here we go. And so too, not everything that's out there in culture is equally desirable. Not all choices in the garden are equally good. And not all choices in life and in reading, we will get there, are equally good. And therefore, you need to have a good gardening book to tell you what to do and how to handle some things. And likewise, in the garden of your heart, we need the Word of God, the Bible. We need God's revelation of himself in words, in words where he speaks. God's excellence shines brightly in the light of the written word, the Bible. And of all books, the Bible is the most excellent. It excels all others. And we need to be reminded of this. I think we so easily take for granted what a treasure it is to have that whole Bible and all the precious stories and all the precious insights and the prayers and the psalms and the scriptures. And and they tell us, they reveal to us the heart of God, the creator and the redeemer. Learning from God's word is often well done in community. And humankind is the most excellent of all the creations. You put them together and you have people who gather together to study the word. You have congregations listening. You have Bible studies. You have discussions at the dinner table. You have devotions. You have, in other words, the fellowship of the word. The people of God share their insights, and so we are the people of the word in all caps. We are the people of the word. And, of course, that brings me to our second C, commands. The word of command. Narrowly speaking, this refers to the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. But more broadly, it points to all of God's written revelation, the Bible. I learned this years ago. I thought it was rather cute. B-I-B-L-E stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And it's good to know that we need some basic instructions because we're all going to leave this earth sooner or later. And we need to know how to live and who our Redeemer is. I find I do need to catch myself and not to go too quickly, though, from the specific to the general just revelation of God's Word. The temptation, I think, for me is quickly to make the general point that we need to pay attention to God's written revelation. And now I admit I have a small, well, maybe not so small, rebellious streak. 
And I don't really much like being told what to do and what not to do. And so I kind of want to just kind of skip over the psalmist's praise of God's commandments. We don't really like being told what to do and not to do. I mean, listen to what the psalmist says. I mean, can you honestly relate to these words? The commands, the law of the Lord, according to the psalmist, is more to be desired than gold. Your Bible is worth more than gold. Oh, even much fine gold. And sweeter than honey, than the drippings of the honeycomb. Is that how you think of your Bible? Is that how you think of God's commands? I find it helpful to remember that God's laws are not only prescriptive, but also descriptive. God's commands tell us how things work. That's the instruction manual. There are the rules, there are rules for driving, there are rules of composition for an artist. There are rules for games and sports. All kinds of activities have rules. And oddly enough, I, I don't hear people complaining, oh, well, this Monopoly game has all these rules. Well, of course the game has rules. You see, and if someone isn't playing by the rules, we say, that's cheating. Huh? That's cheating. Imagine a baker who substitutes oh, Epsom salt for flour. It tastes terrible. But he says, oh, they're both white. What's the problem? Huh? Imagine the chemist who just decides that she doesn't like the formula and blows up the laboratory. See, God's commands help us not blow up the laboratory. Huh? They keep us safe. They are life savers. No, not the little candies. Life savers. God's commands. And they're life giving. Here's a little piece. It's not a great poem, but I thought it was kind of cute. Gardening God's way. Plant three rows of peas. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul. Plant four rows of squash. Squash gossip, squash indifference, squash selfishness, squash your pride. Plant four rows of lettuce. Let us be faithful, let us be kind. Let us, be real, let us really love one another and let us be generous. And every garden needs some turnips. Turnip for meetings, turnip for service, and turnip for one another. Water freely with patience and cultivate with love. There will be so much fruit in your garden because you always reap what you sow. Gardens are life-giving, folks. They give us food and beauty. And so, too, God's commandments in the garden of our souls are life-giving. 
And that is why the psalmist can move so smoothly from a celebration of God's commandments to the celebration of his redemption because it's all about living, living. We conclude our own reflection of God's image by ourselves also trusting in the Redeemer. And that brings us to Christ. Christ, the the one to which this all is leading up and pointing to Christ, our Redeemer. Remember how the psalmist ends, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Maker and Redeemer. The story of the human race began in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And the story of the church begins also in some senses in the garden. Remember when Mary first sees Jesus that first, that first Easter morning? She mistakes him for the gardener. Actually, she was right on. Huh? Yes. John reminds us, in the beginning was the Word, and him was life. The story of redemption is about love and life and Christ as the love of our life. Jesus summarized God's will for us as love. Yes, love one another, but notice the pinnacle of it all. You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then that in itself is a commandment. See how, how much warmth there is in the very commandments of God. The creation, the commands, all point to our Redeemer. God leads us to the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes through the Father except through him. We end our services always with a celebration in song and supper because God calls us his beloved. And we know that God loves us and lives in us. Psalm 63, verse 3, David says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, I will praise you. And that's where we want to be too. Because God's steadfast love is really, really life itself. And so we want to praise him. The Song of Solomon puts it this way, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to pasture his flock in gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Thanks be to God. Amen.